Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I am so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired Podcast Movement. On every Live Inspired Podcast episode, I have amazing guests, just like the one you're going to meet today, who will join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. You will hear remarkable examples of selfless love and leadership on this podcast, but more than that, you're going to hear ideas that you can practice in your own life. Before we get started today, you should check out our Facebook and Twitter feeds. You can like my page. You can follow all the inspiration that we do by learning more about the work that we do on JohnO'LearyInspires.com. It's where we keep our videos, our vlogs, our blogs, lessons from our book, old podcasts that you may want to check out. So check it all out at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. You know, on these Live Inspired podcasts, I have had the honor over the last 50 or so episodes of bringing on phenomenal friends, people that I respect, people that I look up to, people that I want to share with you. And today is no different. I'm bringing on a rock star. This is a guy that I first met years ago. This is a guy who has dramatically and directly influenced my life. He's with us live and in studio. Let me tell you something on the front side. When John Ruling comes on, you are going to need not only a seatbelt to stay in your chair, but you're going to need an open mind, an open heart, your open journal. This is going to be the kind of episode you'll want to be taking a few notes. So buckle up, get ready for the ride as I get to introduce you to my good friend and soon to be yours. His name is John Ruling. John Ruling, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. John, thanks for having me, man. This is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Dude, it already is a lot of fun. It's beautiful to have someone seated two and a half feet away from me. And when I was showing him off around our studios, one of the individuals said, are, are you Tom Brady? <laughs> so you look a little bit like a professional athlete. Is that, is that something you hear occasionally? Um, I would say it's it's happened a little bit more frequently since I dropped about 43 pounds this year. Um, but uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I have a little bit of a resemblance of, uh, of Tom Brady, which is not a bad dude to look like. No, oh, man. I... I I don't think I've ever heard that from me. I'm not as sure a whole lot of folks say, are you that quarterback for the Pats? No, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm the guy who does podcasts out of the Midwest. So, John, for those who may not know your story, uh, tell us a little bit about the work and the life that you're living today. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm a local boy now. I'm, I'm originally from Ohio, but I live in St. Louis now on, on, the, uh, on the Illinois side. So I cross into another, might as well be another planet for those that right. live in St. Louis. But I uh, have three young daughters that are 6'4 and 2, so I'm a, I'm a dad. Uh, husband, my my wife and I just celebrate eight years of uh, of marriage, and she's a Southern Illinois uh, girl. If you're wondering how I ended up in yes. St. Louis, and uh, I run a company that's actually based out of Ohio, uh, that's really really centered around our core book, which is Giftology, which we wrote about 15 months ago, and that's really kind of um, taking our business to a more international level. Um, and it's essentially a gift strategy and logistics company that, uh, we help pro sports teams, unfortunately, like the Cubs. Oh, uh, no, just stop gifting I, I, those darn Cubs. <laughs> uh, we also do work with the Blues and so in about 25 pro sports teams, but we also have entrepreneurs and, and speakers like, like you that, uh, that we help and love on and, and help them love on their most important That's people. Right. Well, for me, understanding how to give, what to give, when to give has always been a struggle. And uh, John, you've you've taught me, I think, effectively how to do it. I look forward to you sharing that idea with the rest of us through this podcast. But uh, it's been said that everybody has a story. It's just not the story we tell the world. So here here you are, Tom Brady's lookalike, three healthy kids, a beautiful bride, a wonderful business. And yet that's not where it began. Kind of whispered earlier that you came out of Ohio. Why don't you take us way back to the, the beginning? Where, where are you from, John? Yeah. So uh, people hear high end gift strategy and they hear, you know, pro sports teams. They assume I grew up on one of the coasts um, hanging out at the country club, and it's kind of the opposite. Uh, I grew up on a farm, uh, pretty meager beginnings, one of six kids. Uh, my mom was one of 13 kids, so we grew up with a massive family, but um, we had about a 43 acre farm. And every morning I got up doing one of the more sexy things on the planet I milked goats. Um, before I went to school, I didn't have the Air Jordans. I had the you know the knockoff lookalikes that everybody made fun of, and um, yeah, I grew up 
wanting to kind of get out of Dodge and go do something. I didn't want to necessarily uh, hoe beans and corn. I made right. a one acre garden. It was horrible. Um, but it taught me work ethic and it yes. taught me dedication and discipline. And I got straight A's all the way through school because I was like, I am getting out of here. Uh, what what, what age else. do you remember first? milking those goats and, and hauling that, that, you know, being a laborer. Yeah. Um, I was, I started, uh, working for my dad, actually my stepdad's tree business when I was about eight years old, stacking wood. We heated our whole house with wood and, uh, I started milking goats right around that same time. Um, and so literally from eight years old on, I mean, I, I can remember getting up every morning and, and with the right. pan and, you know, I could, I could shoot, you know, across this whole studio here with, with Let's milk. Let's not do that, John. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I grew up, uh, second oldest and, and kind of an overachiever and, and, uh, loving basketball. And, and unfortunately, even though I look like a professional athlete, I definitely was the kid on the bench, uh, in basketball wanting to be the star. Yes. Um, but, uh, but I kind of viewed, um, you know, working hard at school to be my right. gateway out. I was going to go be a doctor or a lawyer. And, um, yeah, I, I, fortunately my wife or my wife, um, fortunately my mom was really into health and wellness. And, uh, um, so I was going to go make mom proud. And I was, I started med school, um, at a small Ohio school. Um, that was kind of the, that was the game plan. Life didn't go according to that plan, but that was what I was thinking. Uh, you know, I want to come back to the game plan and come back to med school, but first talk about your mom. You know, you've mentioned to me, about her frequently, she's someone who certainly influenced your life. And on this show, we celebrate not only our guests and and their pathways forward, but the individuals who showed up and and in some ways made them who they became. So talk about your mom a little bit. Yeah, she's uh, well, being one of thirteen, um, you know, she she was a, a fighter and a hard worker herself. And uh, unfortunately, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young, and and so she was a single mom for a while. And and uh, I remember, you know, the the welfare and kind of the food stamps and that kind of thing. And then um, she got remarried, and my uh, my stepdad was was very blue collar, very hard worker, very disciplined, just a you know great guy. But he worked all the time; he had like three jobs, kind of a thing. And she had to raise six kids by herself. So talk about somebody that could manage a lot of yes. the craziness of you know. I had four brothers, one sister. I mean, she was. Um, she wore a lot of hats and she could make a dollar go further than most people could make a hundred dollars. Like she was like the thrift store garage sale master. Mm. And I didn't appreciate that at the time. I was always like, why can't we just yes. go to the store and freaking buy something new? Like nothing was ever new in our house, but, uh, but she was a, an amazing woman. And, and, you know, even though we were on a budget, she would still like have buckwheat that was special. That was like non GMO shipped into our house. And we're in a mid, you know, rural Ohio. Like right. nobody knew what any of that stuff mid-80s. was mid eighties. Yeah. And so, but she, uh, she was really progressive. She had left the nursing industry and was a, a kind of an anti vaccine proponent and all these things that were very like at the time were like black sheep heretical. And now like, you know, there's whole foods and there's these health and wellness that are alternative conferences. But at the time she was really a black sheep, but she didn't care. She, she believed in her heart, what was right. And she really, I think, passed that down to her kids to stand up for what you believe in and, you know, pursue your own path. Right. And, and so I think she rubbed off on me in a huge way. You uh, you mentioned earlier, John, that you sat on the end of the, end of the bench with a dream of not only playing, but launching forward med school, baby. You're going to become something. Yeah. Whatever that even means. Right. This this vague vision of changing the world. And we don't even know what we're looking toward quite yet. You go off to med school. It's a small school. Tell us what happened. Yeah. So it was Malone, small Christian university. And I, you know, it was, it was pre-med. And so I went in, like I, I knew I didn't want to graduate with any debt. So I started a small business working for Time Warner Cable. I was the crazy um, guy that everybody feels bad for climbing in the 30 foot ladder <laughs> in the middle of the winter. Yes. Um, and so I, uh, but I could average a lot of parts. I was changing out parts for Time Warner Cable as an independent contractor. So I had a little S10, little ladder. And I was averaging at that time, you know, this is 20 years ago, 15 or $50 an hour, which is a lot of money for a college kid. But I fell off the ladder two different times within six months because they, you know, no safety harness and all that kind of stuff. And so both times I got lucky, fell in mulch. I was like, I'm never going to make it to med school. Like I'm going to get hurt bad and be in a wheelchair or something. And so I started to look for other things and I was like, I can't go work at Gap and make six bucks an hour and never pay for school that way. So I had some buddies that were getting ready to go to seminary that were the antithesis of salespeople that were selling these crazy knives. And I'm like, how much are the knife sets? And they're like, thousands of dollars. I'm like, who can afford a a thousand dollar knife set? Might as well have been a million dollars to a college kid. But I was like, if Steve Wiggers can do it, a guy who can't couldn't sell water to a person in the middle of the desert. I could at least try. So I that was like that really changed my life. I was like, I'll give it six weeks 
and went wore my glasses to look smarter. Wore the one tie I had. Went in and uh, and got hired. And fortunately, uh, I was dating a girl at the time, and her dad was an attorney, also on the board of trustees of the school. And he was the kind of attorney that owned everything in town. He owned oil wells, banks. Yes, and, hands uh, and everything. And hands and everything. He was like a rainmaker. And he was also somebody that, because he was, you know, when you're poor, you notice when people are generous. <laughs> and he was always giving things away and never kept track. He was always pouring into people. Like he'd pick up, you know, find a deal on noodles, buy a semi-loaded noodles. And everybody at church, like 200 people would end up with like 20 cases of noodles. And I'm doing the math. I'm like, Paul, that was 20 grand. It's a lot of money. And he's like, I know, but did you see their smiles? And I'm like who's not going to smile with that much noodles? Like, of course they're going to smile. So I remember working up the courage to pitch my girlfriend's dad um, giving away. I thought he was always giving away stuff. Maybe he'd give away pocket knives to all of his CEOs because they're all business owners. And so before church, I'm pouring down with sweat because I'm pitching my girlfriend's dad (laughs) knives. It's just a weird thing. And uh, But he was super kind. He had the salt and pepper. It was probably 60th time. He leaned back in his chair and he said, John, what about the paring knives? Could I engrave those? And I'm like... You're going to give like CEOs of multi-million or multi-billion dollar companies a kitchen item? Like, yeah. how weird is that? And he could see the question in my face. He's like, you're wondering why? And I'm like, I'll sell you as many paring knives as you want, Paul. I'm desperate. Why? And he said, well, in 35 years of business, the reason I have more deal flow than I could ever handle is I found that if you take care of the family, everything else in business takes care of itself. And so for me, it was that like crazy, like lightning bolt moment that when I realized that it wasn't about the knife, although the knives are amazing and we actually still partner with Cutco on a regular mm-hmm. basis, it was really understanding the, the reciprocity of relationships and pouring into people and sowing seeds for 50-year relationships, not five-minute relationships like most people do. Tell, tell me what that word even means, reciprocity. It's one we hear thrown around from time to time. Yeah. Define it for me. I think um, I think God, whether you believe in God or not, there's certain biblical principles or world principles. The wire, the world is wired a certain way, and one of those is in our DNA. Is that when somebody you know gives us a, an olive branch, uh, when somebody does something nice for us, when somebody helps us and continues to do so, especially when there's no strings attached, in our heart, in our spirit, our soul, our DNA, whatever you want to call it, we want to reciprocate back and help them. And what's interesting is there's stats to back this up. Robert Cialdini's written books called you know, Influence, and he talks about how oftentimes the, res- the reciprocal nature ends up being sometimes 10 or 100 times more, especially when you're the first person to act and give that, that item, that gift, that favor, that o- open door, that mm-hmm. you know, mentorship, whatever it is, oftentimes the other person feels so indebted, so grateful it's like when you get grace, you're like, you, the response is like, oh my gosh, what can I do with this gift? And Paul understood this just by nature. It wasn't like some business tactic. It was just how he lived with his family. It's how he lived with his church. It's how he lived with the community. Like he would just pick up tabs on after a basketball game just because it was the right thing to do and because he could do it. And because of that, people just, he was the most top of mind person on the planet. Everybody talks about being top of mind in this digital yes. age. He got that 30 years ago in spades like be- because he was so generous. And so people would reciprocate. He was the first person everybody called and wanted to open a door for Paul because he was so beloved because of that reciprocity. And so as a 20-year-old, I saw that and was like, I want, I want to be him in 60 yes. years. Uh, and so I latched onto it in a huge way. Did he mentor you just by the way he lived and gave? Or was it more even specific than that? No, I, I think, I mean, he would ask questions. He was he was one of those guys that was good, you know, asking questions or whatever else. He wasn't a person who said much, but I, w- I would see, I'd walk into his office and he'd have this little, like, letter, you know, wooden letter thing. And every day it was filled with different handwritten notes to people that he read about in the newspaper, that he hadn't seen in 30 years. Like, he was constantly just living a life of gratitude and of giving and of contribution and of honoring people. You talk about the five love languages. He would do it with the words. He would. Ha- he yes. was good with a compliment, but he was also good with the pen. He was also good at opening doors. And But he didn't keep track of any of those things. You could tell like he was just doing it. And, and sometimes you would see like something would happen. I'd be like, Paul, how did that door open? He's like, that's somebody I met 30 years ago and this happened. And, and it's not that he forgot, but he didn't keep score. And so he was sowing these seeds. I, I mean, he really lived you know, what I, what I call like a marathon type relationship, um, with people and, and viewing relationships over that 50 year horizon. And because of that, like he just had so many people all over the world, especially all over the community that were just waiting for the opportunity where they maybe switched into a position where they were in a, an opportunity to be able to give back to Paul, um, because they never forgot. 
And he had thousands of those kind of people. That, that generous spirit, do you think that's something that is just innate? You're born with it, you come out, and you are on fire for giving? Is it something we learn, or is the answer yes to my either-or question? I think it's I think it's yes. I think some people are born a little bit that way, but I would say that um, I, I don't know that I was born that way. I mean, I grew up on a farm with not much, and so I was more— but I saw it was really attractive to see the way Paul was living and how people responded to him. And so I call it the gratitude muscle. I think all of us are born with it. Some are bigger than others naturally. But I think that, you know, the, you know my love language isn't gifting, ironically enough. It's, it's words of affirmation. But when I'm and I'm actually naturally an introvert, but when I give you a gift, you have to respond. And oftentimes it's with positive words of affirmation and it, and it starts a connection with people. And so I saw that in Paul. And so I think that um, um, I worked my I've worked over the last 17, 18 years on that gratitude muscle every day, thinking about how can I show gratitude and appreciation. And so I've gotten pretty you know darn good at giving great gifts, even though that's not my natural. That's not what I grew up seeing was mm-hmm. amazing gifting. That's just not what we're around. Yeah, I know of no one that gifts better gifts and more gifts than you, John. I realize it's your business, but I don't think you do it because it's your business. Why Why are you so generous with your time, your dollars, your gifting, your uh, your information? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, the, from a core perspective, like our faith, you know, calls us to be generous and be joyful givers. Um, so I think, you know, that has has always challenged me. Like I, I, at the end of the, the day, like I want to be, you know, in front of God and, and at the pearly gates or whatever you want to call it. I, when I'm in with meet my maker, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I feel like I've been given a lot, even though I grew up poor, I still, I grew up healthy. I grew up with like 61 first cousins. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up, you know, going getting great grades and, and, and being able to go to a great school. And, and so I've had my challenges like we all have had, but I feel like I've been blessed with a lot. And so I feel like a lot's expected. Um, I've also, I think, you know, kind of get addicted to the feeling of, you know, it is true. Like when you give something, like you actually get more than the person who's receiving it. Like it's fun to give. And in business, when you're playing the game of business and you're trying to help people and you're able to, to make big things happen for people, like it gets addictive and it, it gets fun. And, and for me, it feeds my love language. It feeds, mm-hmm. feeds my love tank of words of affirmation because mm-hmm. I love when people speak well of me. And so, but I also like winning. Like it's not just a let's yes. hold hands and sing kumbaya. Like there's real ROI and metrics to it. And I, so I think once you start to see when you, you reap what you sow, like that's a real truth you get really excited about planting a lot of seeds and you know, some of our biggest relationships, whether it's the largest home builder in the country, like a Daryl Horton or the Cubs or whoever, they came after seven years of sowing seeds. So I'm just like, what seed is going to pop up next that's and right. turn into the next Oak tree. That That's fun for me. You mentioned you were in med school. You mentioned then, then you started climbing ladders. You fell twice. You were lucky enough to survive. You start selling a few little knives. Yeah. Then you go on from there. Just kind of, Finish finish that story out. Yeah, so I, I um so as a twenty year old, I, I, when I saw Paul do that, I was like, I um this is I don't know of anybody else teaching this, and so I started to say I'm going to try this myself and see if it works for me the same way it works for Paul, and so I started buying like investing you know a couple hundred dollars in a car- cut co carving set, and which is a lot for a college kid that might as well have been you know that's right you know, twenty grand. And, uh, but I engraved a you know, $200 million company of a CEO I'd want to get a meeting with. And I engraved a CEO's name, his wife's name, family name. And I put a little handwritten note inside, said, carve out five minutes for me. I promise it'll be worth your time. And so I'd mail it off. And two weeks later, I get a call from the assistant. So I walk into the boardroom to meet with the CEO. And he's 65. He's expecting somebody in their 40s or 50s. And then walks 21 year old John Rulin. And he's like baffled. Like, he's like, I thought you'd be like this seasoned yes. sales executive. What's going on? I said, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm here to talk to you about your relationship building. He's like, are you here to sell me knives? And I'm like, no, I'm here to help you and your thousand sales reps do exactly what I just did to you to your top 10,000 relationships. And the CEO's jaw would hit the ground. And he'd be like, wow, you're really good. And I'd walk out of there with a PO for thousands of knife sets, not because of the knife set. It was the results that they wanted. They wanted more referrals. They wanted more loyalty. They wanted more doors opened. And so by the time I was a senior in college, I, out of a million and a half college kids that uh, Cutco's worked with over the last 70 years, we became their number one distributor in the history of the company because we were using their product as a tool mm-hmm. to deepen relationships and open doors. And so I put med school on the side and said, you know what? 
I, I can make more money, I can have more flexibility, and I can help a lot of people with this platform. Like, there's nobody that's really teaching gratitude as a competitive advantage in business. And so I, I put everything on the side and said, I can always go back to med school if this doesn't work out. And, uh, and that was 17 years ago. We started to add other product lines. We started to speak and teach, even though I was deathly afraid of it. And, um, you know, for a long time, we just kind of we're in the background starting to work with bigger and bigger companies. And then we got referred into NASCAR and that led into the Miami Dolphins. And, and so we started to work with companies, you know, now over the world, but it just kind of grew slowly with this idea of, of, uh, of how to use gifting and gratitude strategically, not as a warm fuzzy once a year, but how to really think about it. Because if relationships really matter, every business leader says, oh, relationships are our best yes. asset. Like they say one thing and then they send Amazon gift cards to everybody. And that's their way of showing thank you right. for 2,000 hours of work that year. It's not congruent. And, um, and so we really have, have, uh, have focused on being not the biggest company in the world, but um, when we wrote Giftology, it kind of cemented our places. Like there's nobody, everybody's just selling stuff. Like Amazon's good at shipping stuff. But if you really want to make an impact with somebody and have them never forget it and have them really be moved to action, whether that's an employee, a client, supplier, doesn't matter. It's a human being. If you want to connect with a human being, gifting d- done well can be a lever that most people just kind of view as a waste of money. And so we love it because the 5% of companies that do it well stand out head and shoulders from all their competitors. So, John, what do you say when folks say uh, uh, they're only gifting so they can get something in return? Yeah. You know, that's why you sent the knives. That's why you did the pairing thing. That's why you sent the sweatshirts or whatever else. It's it's to get something in return. For those who are more negative about this whole concept. Yeah. And 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 adding to that, we're speaking specifically to business leaders in some regards, but of course, this plays in any relationship. I think we all long and hunger and thirst for being appreciated as spouses, as parents, as daughters, sons, teachers, nurses. You pick the profession. Doesn't matter. Man, we're we're longing for it, and not a whole lot of folks do it well. But those who are saying, "Yeah, but he's he's just doing this to get something out of it." How do you respond? Yeah, well, I think that um, that in business we all are trying to make a profit, and we all are trying to sell something. Whether it's a a teacher trying to sell education, or you know, a pastor trying to sell Jesus, like we're all in sales. But I would say that what changes is when you give a gift and you try to manipulate or control based upon the gift, and whether it's the the CEO or whether it's your spouse, if you can give the gift with no strings attached and say, you know what. If nothing comes of it, and I just made that person's day, and I can go on to the next relationship and give another gift and not mm-hmm. hold on, um, if you can really plant seeds, no strings attached, and really view it as the long game. I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk, all these guys talk about, like, play the long game. And I think that's what Paul was br- brilliant at is we all hope that good things are going to happen when we do good things for people. We hope that if we treat our employees well that they'll stick around. There is kind of a selfish motive to almost everything that we do. But I think an employee can tell, do you have their best interests in mind? And are you doing this with the right intentions? So people are like, well, I just want to do this and I don't care about the intentions. I'm like, well, you're probably not a good client for us because people can sense when you're doing things for the right reasons yes. or whether you're doing it to manipulate. And it's a fine line. And you only, and many times only you can say in your heart if you're really keeping track or not or if you're really okay with I'm going to plant a seed here, plant a seed here, plant a seed here, and know that over the aggregate, that's why we tell people don't work with us unless you're committed to this for the next three years. If you're just in this for one project, then you're not a good fit for what we do. So part of the reason I wanted to have you on now is we look out the window today and the leaves are changing. Some of them are even falling and being raked up by my boys. The seasons are changing. We're moving toward Thanksgiving, toward Hanukkah, toward Christmas, toward the new year. It's an awesome time to give gifts. And yet you've told me in the past about 100 times, most people are lousy gift givers. Uh, I I am exhibit A. (laughs) I give my wife my favorite, like my last gift to my wife was a gorgeous red dress. It was tight. It was like something you would buy at Forever 21. And she's like, baby, I can't even put this on. I'm never going to wear it out. What's wrong with you? I I, I give lousy gifts. And I realize frequently I give the lawnmower for myself. And I think many of us are giving lawnmowers to our employees or toward our spouse or partners or children, and it's really about us. Yep. So tell me some mistakes that a lot of us make. What are some things that we're doing wrong? And then help us make a different list. And as you get ready to uh, assert yourself into the conversation, John, I just invite you listening right now, my friends, consider grabbing that notepad because th- this type of stuff is worthy, whether you are a sales executive or CEO or a spouse, or a daughter, or a son, or an auntie or uncle, 
there's going to be a few ideas that you can grab from this and you'll want to apply during this next holiday gift giving season. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is being a gift strategy company, like companies hire us to do their gifting for them. And it would, for most companies, it'd be, it'd be like committing Harry Carey to say, don't give gifts at the holidays. And yet this year we'll send out probably $350,000 in gifts to our clients, employees, interesting people we meet on airplanes, suppliers, you name it. And not one dime will be spent or invested for us between Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's when most companies go in from red into the black. And the reason is, is as an entrepreneur, I want to spend a dollar over the course of time and I want to get $10 back. And if you give gifts when all of your competitors and everybody else is giving gifts and their family's giving gifts, and so you give gifts to your employees, well, they're getting gifts from everybody. And now all of a sudden, like your gift is one of a hundred gifts that they receive. I want to give the gift in the middle of April what's as a just because, because if a gift shows up and it's the only gift they got that week or that month, they treasure the gift. Mm-hmm. They, they're like, oh my gosh. And even if you suck at the gifts, <laughs> like a, a bad gift given in the middle of April is better than a good gift give, given in the middle of December yes. because most people are so overwhelmed. So we teach our clients to say, you know, how often is it important for you to say thank you to somebody? And they're like, oh, I should say thank you every day. I said, right. So you should be thinking about gifting the same way you think about saying thank you. You teach your kids to say please and thank you. So most of our gifts we send out the other 10 months out of the year. So we'll send them, the last gift we'll send out is in the, is the first week in November. And then we, we basically, we cancel Christmas on a business side. And people are like, what? that's like the Grinch. And I'm like, yeah, we've been called the Grinch in articles and newspapers, whatever else, like a gifting company that wants to kill Christmas. That's weird. Now for your own, you know, your own relationships, if you have kids, you should do gifts for Christmas, like or Hanukkah or whatever else. Um, but it's amazing how powerful it is to say thank you just because, not because of a referral. Like we don't send gifts after referrals. That's the worst time because um, everybody says, oh, we're, we're not in a transaction business. We're in a relationship business. I'm like, well, they did something for you and then you give them a gift. Guess what that is? It's a transaction. Yes. And so you, now you, somebody refers you a million dollar piece of business as a financial advisor and you send them a hundred dollar Starbucks gift card. You just basically said their million dollar friend yes. was worth a hundred bucks from Starbucks. Like that's just a weird, it doesn't. Whereas if a gift just shows up as, as a just because, because of the relationship, now they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't done anything. What do you, why, why'd you send this? And I'm like, because I love you. I love working with you. Or I love just sitting down and have 30 minutes of your time is worth $1,000 to me. Like, I, lo- I just wanted to honor your time. Like, thanking somebody for their time. Like, I do that with every, every meeting I take for the first time. We have coffee, CEO. I'm not asking for business. I thank them for their time. And oftentimes, it'll be with a $100, $203 gift. And, and people freak out. They're like, nobody's ever done this before. But I saw in Paul, like, that's how he treated people. Mm-hmm. And when I started to treat mentors and advisors that way, guess what? They always took my phone call. They always took the meeting because nobody had ever acknowledged them for their most important asset, which is their time. Um, you mentioned the lawnmower. Like, it's amazing how many companies, like, if the CEO or the VP of sales like steak, that's what they do. They take everybody out for steak dinners or they take people out. If they love golf, they take everybody golfing. If they give a gift, it's in the company colors. And I'm like, I ask, I ask people all the time, I said, I'm like, would you ever go to a wedding and, you know, couples getting married and, and take like this beautiful Tiffany's vase <laughs> and engrave compliments of John O'Leary, you know, in the on fire colors? Would, would you ever do that? I do it all the time yeah. and it doesn't get the reaction <laughs> I'd hoped. But yes. No, Beth would, would kill you. She yeah, would she be like, sure she would be like, that's the tackiest thing in the world. But in business, we do that every day and we call it marketing. And we try to blend marketing and gifting and they're not the same. Marketing is all about the giver. Gifting is all about the recipient, the person you're giving to. And we confuse the two and we think a promotional item is the same as a gift. They're not. Promotional item is all about you. Gift is all about the person. And when you focus on who's receiving the gift and what they would really want, they want their name on it, not a logo. They want their colors, not your colors. And it's such a simple concept. But in marketing, everybody's like, well, I better put my logo on or else they're going to forget. And I'm like, John, if I gave you a Rolex... Was five years from now, would you be like, man, I can't remember who gave me this Rolex. I wish they had put their logo on it. No, you would never forget because I gave something that was really meaningful and thoughtful. So if you give a world-class gift, and it doesn't have to be a $5,000 watch, it could be a $50 item. It's amazing if you do gifting and make it all about them and personalize it to them and their family, their spouse, it becomes an artifact. They, there's a subconscious mental trigger that every time they see that item, whether they realize it or not, they're reminded who gave it to him, where it came from, the love, the representation yes. of the relationship. It's such a simple concept, but we've been taught wrong for so long that we're all just kind of sheep saying, 
what's everybody giving? I guess we're giving iPads and Starbucks gift cards because that's what I, that's all I see being given. So people just follow. Nobody ever calls them out and, and writes them a note and says, I actually thought less of you for sending me this gift. Mm. But that's what goes for a lot of people's head. You used a word there that I've heard you use a lot of times with me called artifact. Yeah. Which is the strangest word seemingly for a, a, a guy who practices giftology to ever use. T- tell us, uh, tell my friends listening what, what you mean when you say uh, it's an artifact. Yeah. What does that mean as far as gifting goes? Well, if you think about, um, you know, if, if, unfortunately, if you had a house fire, you'd think about the things that you'd go in and grab. It's usually artifacts. It's like if your dad served in the military, you grab a flag. If if you're if it was a picture of your mom, and you know, like you grab the things that are most important, and represent who you are and your most valuable relationships. And the reason we use artifact is even in Bible times, like kings would give other kings gifts based upon the value of the relationship. And sometimes it'd be yeah. gold chalices and crazy, you know, thousand head of cattle because they understood that when you give something to somebody, it should represent the value of the relationship. And so when we talk about gifting, like most people think of gifts, they think of tchotchkes and trinkets and promotional items. And that's the exact opposite of what we want in people's minds. We want when somebody to receive something that for them to say, oh my gosh, this is something I, I can't re-gift it. I'm never going to re-gift it. I'm, I'm going to hold on to it and treasure it. And every time I use it, I'm going to think of the value of the relationship of the person that gave to me. And that's what an artifact, I, I, it's one of those kind of things where if you gave the right level of a, of a leather bag, like you'd want to pass it down to your boys and have hope that they would use it and pass it down to their boys. Um, that's the type of gifting that we want people to think about. And when you do it at that level, um, it's amazing how, you know, we have people 10, 20 years later that are still talking about the item, mm-hmm. whether it's a knife or a leather bag or whatever else, because there's so much thought and energy put into that, that people really do view it as an artifact, not as just more stuff. We have, you know, what's the stats? Like there's 50 million um, units out there yeah. for storage units out there when they didn't even we exist. Like, stuff. yeah, we have enough stuff. But there's, you know, most people are craving appreciation, even the highest level CEOs they're not walking around saying, I got too much appreciation. Like I just would stop, wish people would stop acknowledging me and we don't have enough artifacts. Like we don't have enough things where people say, you know what, this is made for forever. And this really represents who I am and my core values. You, you line those two things up and you can, I mean, some of the things that we do for people, even billionaires cry when they get acknowledged that way. You've given countless gifts over your career and over your life, John, and you give not so you can get something in return, but because you believe in the process, you believe in the heart behind it. What's your favorite gift you've ever given? And I'm not looking for your go-to, but what's that one time where you're like, dude, one time we did this and holy cow. What, yeah. what, what was that gift for you? Um, probably I, I met a guy that I uh, I heard speak um, and it was one of those kind of like engagements. It was an EO event, 1200 CEOs. Steve Wynn is privately speaking to us. And one of those events where I was like, I almost left because I did feel like I didn't belong. And one of the breakout speakers was this guy who had grown three different companies to over $100 million dollars. And I knew I didn't want him just as a client. I wanted him to be an advisor, a mentor, an advocate, and I couldn't afford him. He's like 10 grand a month. He's coaching like the CEO of Sprint, like to give you an idea of the level. And so I'm like, I want to get his attention. So long story short, as I found out, he was coming to Cleveland to speak to REO chapter. And I had offered him to go to Cavs game. I had great seats, uh, opening night and a steak dinner. I thought that would be the, the deal clincher. And his response was, I don't have anything else going on that night. I guess I'll go. And I'm like... Uh, like he's going to go on a hundred of these dinner and a ball games like we all do when we travel. That wasn't going to be the the special you know secret weapon. So I found out he was going to be shopping at Brooks Brothers. That was his favorite store to go to. And as luck would have it, the morning of his flights all get delayed, and he's like, and I can tell like he's texting me like he's trying to get out of the dinner and the ball game as well. And so I'm like, I need to do this crazy thing. And I had told my business partner this idea three months earlier. And he was like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. No, we cannot do that. So the morning of, I called him back. I'm like, his flight's delayed. We got to go do this. And he said, do you believe in it enough that if it doesn't work, like I know it's not going to work, it comes out of your personal draw if it doesn't work. And I'm like, yes, Rod, I believe in it that much. And he's like, I think it's a dumb idea, but go for it. So four hours before uh, Cameron, his name's Cameron Hill, lands, I drive up to Brooks Brothers. I put the Amex down and I said, here's the guy's sizes. I want one of everything in your new fall collection, all your jackets, pants, sweaters, belts, shoes, you name it. 
And the junior sales associate thought I was joking. I'm like, with a deadpan face, I'm like, I'm not joking. I wish I was, but I want it all. So it takes them an hour. They gather everything up and they go to ring the credit card. And I'm like saying my prayers, like, please go through. Cause it, like when I saw the bill, it was $7,000 and I was like about ready to pass out. So I load up the, the Suburban, go over to the Ritz. I'm like, I asked for the GM. I'm like one of the top business coaches in the entire world is coming to town. Do you want to do something amazing? Of course, it's the Ritz. They say, sure. So we merchandise this whole hotel room to look like a Brooks Brothers store. Sweaters there, jackets, da, da, da. Downstairs, I'm you know drinking like a triple on the rocks because I'm so nervous. My business partner is in my ear like, he's going to think you're a stalker. This is the dumbest idea ever. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm pouring a sweat. Cameron comes in. One of those days where he wishes he wasn't going to dinner. He just wants to go to bed. He's just devastated. I'm like, Cameron, go take a shower. Come down whenever you're ready. Even if we miss the game, we'll go to dinner. He comes down about 25 minutes later, and he is glowing. He said, John, I've had people from all over the world, Dubai. I thought they were the best customer service experiences. He said, I've texted pictures to three different authors. I'm changing my quote. He said, I've never had anybody treat me this way. Whatever you want to talk about for as long as you want to talk about it, I'm all freaking here. Except you didn't say freaking. And uh, that started off a relationship that's gone for 10 years. And you know, one of the reasons that we've been able to raise our speaking fee to just insane levels is because of his support. He's opened up you know, doors with the president of Starbucks. He's included me in books that he's written from stages. He's speaking this week in Utah to like 600 of the top financial advisors. Guess who's getting a five-minute cameo there, even though I'm not there? is we are because of this relationship. And, and he's done things that $10 million in advertising could never have done all because of that one act of kindness. It's a crazy story. <laughs> it is. And I've heard you share it a couple times. And every time I'm, I'm stunned that you would first even think about it. Part, part of what I love about generosity and about your, your uh, lean in toward it, John, is that you think of it. You know, I mean, most of us don't wouldn't even consider going that crazy, let alone pulling the trigger. What, what questions do you ask yourself when you think about giving a gift to your bride, your children, a, a colleague you're trying to um, become closer with? What, what, yeah. what questions are you asking yourself? I think one of the biggest things I saw Paul do, and he never vocalized it this way, but I think that it's it's been super powerful for me, not only in gifting, but just in all areas of business, is most people have a tendency to ask themselves, what's the least I can get away with? You know, I can, uh, that's good enough. That's good enough. You know, and Paul, when he would, you know, go to a pizza place after the ball game and, and half the community that people he loved was there, he just picked up the tab as $1,500 because he would say, what's the most I can do? Well, I can do that. And he would just do it. Same with the noodles, same with the raffle tickets. He'd buy a third of the raffle tickets, win the Harley, and then donate it back because that was the most he could do. And I think that when you go into situations, most people hold back. They say like, I don't want to be taken advantage of or... You know, you're going to a kid's graduation party. You're like, hey, is this a hundred dollar relationship? I haven't seen that nephew in three years. Like maybe I can get away with 75 bucks. But when you dial up the question, you know, what's the most I can do in this situation? And oftentimes it's a hundred times more than what we were thinking about. And you do that. Like that's where like you get like the Seth Godin concept of a purple cow. Like when we did our business cards, people are like, I set a goal to spend because I couldn't afford a fancy website. I'm like, what's the most I could do with a business card? Well, uh, I was like, a dollar would be a crazy card because most cards cost three cents. So if I took it times 30 and did a dollar, that'd be insane. Not one or 2% better. It'd be like, you know, 3000% better. And um, when I did that and I handed it and I started to realize people were fr- freaked out about a th- at a dollar business card. Now our cards are $3, not to brag, but they're, they're meant to show that a little detail, like a business card that most people throw away, Ours have become like pieces of art that mm-hmm. people will show and keep, in some cases, really weird cases. I've had people say, you know what? It's sitting on my nightstand at home. And that That's was weird, seven. John. It is weird. We're going to have to cut that from the final take. <laughs> <laughs> That's me who actually said that. So I didn't know he was going to be quoting me in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is I don't have your uh, your business card or the notes you've written me on my nightstand, but I do have them in my office. They are a legacy artifact type item. And and they, they show the sincerity behind the work that you do. Yeah, it's uh it, so it's it's the simple things. It's it's when you you know whether it's with your wife or your kid, you go that, you know, don't go the extra mile, go the extra 10 miles. And I think in business a lot of times, you know, the value is instead of spending $100,000 on your trade show that all of your competitors spend 100 grand on, what if you took that 100 grand and spent it on your top 100 relationships? What if you spent $1,000 on each of them and just loved on them? Didn't ask for anything in return. You know, most people at a trade show, there's no incremental gain. They're doing it to just have a basically a 
pissing match with their competitor. And so when you can start to question everything in your business and say, what's the most I can do? And am I really doing things differently than my competitors? Take all options off the table and say, with blank slate. And we've done that with companies and people are like, they freak out. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, we have to do that. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, we, we're a gifting company. We don't have a brochure. Mm. Like, but our, all your competitors have $20 brochures. And I'm like, I know. I give them my $3 business card. I save myself $17 per brochure. And people show my business card around way more than they show the, the brochure. They end up in the trash can, most brochures. So we're, we're big into the belief of what's the most I can do. And if I can't take something that is normally really cheap and go really high end with it, um, I, I, I want to basically cut it out altogether because a lot of times it's just noise. And we don't need more noise in our businesses. We need you know, quality, not quantity. And so I, oftentimes I encourage people like, you don't have to take care of 10,000 people. What if you just took your top 100 relationships and really poured into them? What if you just started with your family and treated your your spouse like they were your number one customer mm-hmm. and you know a couple key employees? Like I, I treat my employees better than most people treat their best clients. Like we pay to have their houses cleaned every other week um, because it makes the quality of their life better. And it costs us $2,000 per employee. But guess what? We get employees that love working for us and will run through walls for us because we're really willing. And I'm not saying we're perfect. Like, our employees have bad days and we screw up just like anybody else. But we really do believe like you can't expect to give Ritz Carlton treatment to your customers if you don't treat your employees that right. way and give them the real Ritz Carlton experience. You know, John, we have a couple emails coming through right now live. Uh, this three of them already. They're wondering if you're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny that you say that is I spoke at Google about two years ago and that was a bucket list item to even be on campus there and speak. And a couple employees jokingly came up to me afterwards and said, asked if I was hiring. And the reason was is because of the house cleaning. Like Google does everything to keep you on campus. Mm-hmm. And they're a great company to work for and culture and whatever else. But n- most companies are not saying how, even if it's not good for us, like how can we make the quality of our, you know, the lives of our employees lives. better? And so we've incorporated mandatory date nights once a quarter where we pay for the big thing that we pay for that I realized from my own experience. Um, was babysitters. My wife would like look at the clock and be like, we got to get home. And I'm like, we could sit on an extra hour. It's an extra $12. And if she's thinking about that, like yes. our employees are probably struggling with the same thing. So we said unlimited babysitter on date night. Um, and it freaks them out. Like, what do you mean? So we can go till two in the morning. I'm like, stay up all night if you want to. Um, and they're like, seriously? And I know nobody, I shouldn't say nobody. I, I, it's been yet to be done. Yes. But the idea of putting ourselves in their shoes and saying, what would they not do for themselves that, that we can do and take out of the decision-making process of their hands? Because if you gave them the option of that or cash, they'd go apply it to their bills or their house payment or their car payment or whatever else. And I think that if you do gifting well, not just tangible gifting, but all gifting, it, it should have way more value than the cost that it costs a company. It should come back to you in spades if you do it well. We, we jokingly said we're getting the emails right now, but sincerely, for those that want to learn more about the work that you do or the book that you wrote, the programs that you're now coaching around, where, where can they visit online to learn more about, about your efforts? Yeah. Well, I would say one of the first things, I mean, they could go buy Giftology, but I would say before you even go buy the book and see if it's worth you know, checking out, it is our entire playbook. But we created, a lot of times people are like, you know what, John, can you just give me like a top 10 list of things to not give? Like, I just want to know the you know, it's like when you take right. your kids bumper bowling, you know, bowling, you have the bumper so you don't go in the gutter. And so we created like the top 10 worst gifts to avoid giving and why. And we was created red PDF. dress from Forever 21. Yes, that was yes. that was number okay. that was number three. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that was lawnmower. number three. Yeah, lawnmower is number two. Good, man. Hey, I'm, on, I'm killing <laughs> yeah, it. You're killing it. Yeah. But things like people think food are a great, you know, a great gift. I'm like, you know, with all the allergies out there and the, everybody wants to measure impressions. I'm like, why would you give a gift that's consumed in five minutes versus last for 50 years? Like that just doesn't make sense from an investment perspective. Most people don't think about gifting from an ROI. So we put this top 10 list. So if you go to giftologybook.com slash fire, you can download that, uh, that download for free and at least gives you or your marketing team or your assistant or you yourself just some thoughts to at least avoid. Now, every one of the gifts on there, there are times, there are anomalies where like it make, does make a good gift. I'm not saying I've never gifted any of the things on the top 10 list, but and, and as a general rule, it's a great place to go mm-hmm. and reference and say, okay, yeah, I, I thought Apple was really cool to give, but when car dealerships are giving away you know, iPads as a, for test drives, it's probably lost some of its yes. specialness and cachet. Well, I, I just encourage folks to check out the site and uh, check out the heart behind it. I've known you for a decade now, and you can fake it for a while, but you can't fake it for a decade. And and the, the, the things that have arrived in my life through our friendship, John, are 
unbelievable, unmatched, and uh, I'll never forget it. They are artifacts and they are meaningful. So in every Live Inspired podcast episode, John Rulin, we guide our guests through what we call the Live Inspired Seven. What is the best book that you've ever read? Um, the one that's probably changed my life the most and inspired writing giftology was Give and Take by Adam Grant. Uh, I think for a long time I, I felt a little bit insecure and was unsure if, if, um, if as a giver, if I was maximizing things, like should I, like was I being taken advantage of? And he really showed how to live a life of giving, but also to be strategic with it so you didn't get it taken advantage of by takers. Mm. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103. No one saw that coming, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth? Um, I mean, I think that I would continue to do what I'm doing right now. Um, but as far as with the money itself, um, my business partner is kind of a Warren Buffett guy and, and a long-term investor. And right now we've started to invest in companies so we could grow and, and be able to help others grow their businesses. And so I think that would accelerate the plans of being able to, uh, to invest in other entrepreneurs to see their dreams come true. And, um, you know, a portion of it would go I'm a tither from a church perspective, so a portion of it would go to uh, to the church and causes, but a lot of it would get invested in entrepreneurship. It's funny, you, you brought up question three in the middle of your remarks without even knowing it. So here we go. Question number three, if your house caught fire and all living things and all living people are already out and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item or in your language, artifact, just one, John, what would you grab? Um. If I can grab more than one, I'd say the uh, I fought my wife tooth and nail for this um, because at the time when we got married, like funds were tight and I almost lost the business back in 2008. So going into getting married in 2009, I was like, really, we're going to do a photographer that much at that Mm -hmm. level. And they made this huge leather bound, amazing book that captured what really was one of the best weekends of my life. And um, it it cost a fortune. Um, But it's one of the things I still reference back to, uh, even when Lindsay and I are having tough times, I go, I go back to that book. And so I grabbed that book. And the second thing I would grab is this crazy, um, four or $500 mug that somebody made for me that really captures, um, the, all, all my core values. It's an artifact that, that I use every single day that really mm-hmm. represents who, who I am. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous afternoon and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to be sitting on that bench next to? Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but my, uh, I spent a lot of time early in my life with my grandfather, uh, who was an entrepreneur, even though I didn't know what that word was. Uh, we spent time uh, on a pontoon boat fishing, and he passed away when I was 16 before I really had the entrepreneurial bug kind of bite me. So if I had the opportunity to, uh, I, I would love to be able to spend time with him and have him see what I'm doing and also glean from the wisdom because he has a business that he started in the 40s that is now fourth generation and is thriving. And uh, he's left quite a legacy and an impression on me, but I didn't really get to to glean um, and learn from him the way that I wish I could. What was grandpa's name? Uh, Russ Kiko. Awesome. What's the best advice that he or anyone else ever gave you? Tom Searcy um, came up to me uh, this is what one of the first things that comes to mind after an event that we both spoke at together and I was kind of dipping my toe in the whole speaking thing and wasn't really sure about it and was kind of nervous and self-conscious and Tom cornered me with Kara Jane his sister and he said John you're a great speaker hiding in a good speaker's body he said if if you want to you could char- charge adult money and really impact a lot of people if you would uh, be more confident in your speaking what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Um, I, when I was 20, I, well, I almost, at 20 going at 21, that, that range, I would tell myself that uh, the best is yet to come. I almost, uh, I almost married Paul's daughter and that almost kind of crashed and burned and that put me into a spiral for a couple years that was really challenging. And I almost gave up on everything and almost didn't graduate college and all these other things. And so um, I would, I would, uh, yeah, I'd kick myself in the butt and say, dude, it, a lot of good things are coming down the path. Uh, you know, relax. 
in my office in the corner of one of the rooms, there's a plaque that reads the best is yet to come. And at home in our kitchen, uh, just to the left of the sink, there's a little plaque that reads the best is yet to come. And in one of the chapters within the book on fire, I, I quote a physician who had amputated my fingers a few months earlier and was saying goodbye to me as I launched home. And one of the final sentences this Dr. Avage never said were these words, John Ruin, the best is yet to come. And I, I think those words, whether you're 20 or 40 or uh, maybe even more seasoned than that, it's a great way to begin wrapping up our podcast, but starting our lives. The best is yet to come. Great reminder. Agreed. Final question, brother. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. John Rulin, how would you like your one sentence to read? Um, John Rulin was a man who, uh, in all areas of his life, gave more than was reasonable. I think that's what uh, Paul and a number of my mentors have lived out, and that's the life that when people look back, I want them to think, man, what a, a generous, amazing human being lived. Well, my friend who is amazing and generous and always awake and always alert and always giving, you have given more than you could ever get back. And I'm grateful to be your friend and to, uh, and to share your story and your heart with my friends. Man, thanks for having me. This is, uh, I don't know how long it's been, but it went fast. It was nine minutes. <laughs> it was the slowest nine minutes of my career. <laughs> my friends, that was John Rulin. This is John O'Leary. And today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, I told you on the front side that you were going to need a seatbelt, not only for the ruling factor, but also you were going to need an open journal, an open heart, an open mind, and a pen, furiously tracking notes. If you want to revisit the notes you've taken or track from our own website, we have a spot where we have some of the highlights from this interview. It's captured under John O'Leary inspires.com. We have this John Rulin podcast and we have all of them listed there. We'll also have links to John's website. So consider tracking us down over at John O'Leary inspires.com. If you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoy bringing it to you, and I, I love it. I'm so grateful to not only have the opportunity to share it, but for your willingness to hear it. My encouragement is that you tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your brothers and sisters, the ladies you worship with, the guys you hang out with, the people you work with, that all media is not bad media, that there is also some evidence of hope and light and perspective in this murky world. And the truth, quoting John Rulin, that the best is yet to come. It's a good reminder. Uh, send them over to our website, johnolearyinspires.com. My friends, for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary. And today is your day. Live inspired.